Welcome to Truth Transistor Radio. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hedrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 1618. Pride going before destruction. Hello, True Transistors. How is everybody doing out there? I hope everybody's doing well. Uh, I'm kind of glad it's getting a little cooler now here in the state of Texas. I work outside and there's been quite a bit of 100 plus degree days out there and and, uh, it's, it's finally starting to cool down a bit. It was only in the 90s today, I think. So... We've had some days where it was the high was like 79 when we had some rainy days here recently. So that's been nice. It's a little nicer. I don't feel exhausted when I come home as much. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of things going on in the world this year in 2020 with the pandemic. And it's just been really crazy. And. Uh, we can all hope and pray that this could end soon. Um, you know, a lot of division going on in the world right now, uh, whether it be with the pandemic and whether or not masks are necessary. Some people think they're so necessary and, and uh, they get mad at people that don't wear them. Some people that are wear- that don't wear them get mad at people that wear them. And then you got the whole... Uh, racism and uh, protests going on and police brutality and there's just uh, a lot of craziness going on in that area you know growing up I was born in 1977 Um, I never saw I never thought about racism growing up uh, in the 80s and into the 90s and I, then I saw these news, uh, you know, videos from the 60s where there were these, uh, you know, firefighters spraying hoses at people. And then you had like um, the KKK, like thousands of them out there with their white hoodies on and all that stuff going on. And I thought, well, that was a long time ago. That doesn't exist anymore. That was just my thinking. Like in the 90s, everybody I knew you know, most of my friends were white, but we were all big fans of, you know, celebrities like Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and Shaquille O'Neal. And a lot of us liked rap music. And, you know, it was, um, you know, we were, um, the, the, the idea of racism against blacks was not in our mind. We, we thought black people were cool. <laughs> That's what we thought. And I, I played basketball in high school, and I went to a small private school. And, um, you know, we, we were mostly, you know, we were pretty much a white school. But whenever we played uh, schools with more minorities in them, we were a little bit intimidated, not because they were bad people, just because they were more athletic than we were <laughs> or something. Um, 
so there was kind of like um there was kind of that but um yeah so anyway and then in the last few years like five years ago there was you know some of the uh, police brutality stuff going on you had Colin Kaepernick kneeling at, at the NFL games and uh I supported him on that I know a lot of conservatives um were offended by that because they think you know you know that's blasphemy to not pledge allegiance to the flag but you know he he did what he believed in to to bring uh, attention to something that he believed in and also from a christian's perspective i don't think we should be idolizing the flag or america or anything like that now i will tell you that i do personally do not pledge put my hand on my heart anymore because of a lot of the things that i've come to realize about our country but i did when i went to a baseball game with a friend of mine who is in the military he's in the air force and while i have problems with the uh our foreign policy i don't have problems with him as a person or most of the people that are in the military i think they are doing it for the right reasons it's the people at the top that are corrupt and that's a whole different, you know, I haven't really got in, gotten into politics or anything. But anyway, so I did that for his sake because he was there with me. So I, I put my hand on my heart to, to, uh, to acknowledge him, to uh, support him as a member in the Air Force. But um, normally I don't anymore. So, uh, yeah, there's that. But um, also... In this recent, the NFL games have started up again. And on Thursday, which was the opening games between the Chiefs and the Jaguars, they had a moment of silence for unity. And I know there's some, you know, with the Black Lives Matter thing, there's some liberal agendas tied up in the movement. So I, I understand um, some people's issues with that. But at the same time, we can't ignore the problems and to acknowledge and have a moment of silence for racial unity is, I think, a good thing. Well, they had a moment of silence and there was people in the crowd. It wasn't everybody. I think it was a small percentage of people, but it was pretty obvious when you have a moment of silence and maybe a few hundred people start booing. It might have been less than that. I don't know, but it was pretty obvious, especially in the sense that there was only... I think 1,600 people, they really had limited, uh, you know, with social distancing and everything, people that could show up. So it wasn't like it was that loud anyway, but if a few people start booing, it's pretty obvious. And to me, that was despicable. You know, there could be, you know, elements of Black Lives Matter that we disagree with in the uh, written thing that conservatives disagree with. I understand that. But we can't just politicize everything and ignore the problem that exists. You know, if we have issues with certain movements and things. But in this case, they didn't mention Black Lives Matter. You know, they were um, very peaceable. Uh, it was just, let's just have a moment of silence for racial unity. And I, you know, so people were booing and that I find that despicable. So anyway, I was just thinking about how... Um, in, one, in some senses, I think we've gotten a lot better since the 60s in terms of race. 
you know, we had a president that was, you know, black in Barack Obama. Now, he might not be um, my choice for a president, and I'm not a Republican either, so I wouldn't even say Trump is my choice. So, you know, but the point is, 50 years ago, there's no way we could have elected a black president. Um, and just to, just to, for the record, the first president I voted for was Alan Keyes. And that was like 20 years ago. Um, I've discovered things about him that I wouldn't vote for him now because he uh, works with the United Nations, I think, and there's other things. But, um, yeah, so it's not a race thing. Um, but but it is we, – we do need to acknowledge that the United States has improved on that issue in the last 50 years. But in many, many ways, the United States has gotten worse too. So um, just morally and family issues and, and things. So, um, yeah, this intro is a bit longer than I normally do. But um, anyway, I just thought I would – throw that all that out there um so if you ever want to get a hold of me you can email me at truth transistor radio at gmail.com and i would love to hear from you i have some uh fan mail here and first is from matilda it says Hello, Truth Transistor. I enjoy your podcast. You sound like a very handsome man, and I have a crush on you. Oh, that's nice. Huh. I am 92 years old, um, and I would love to get married to you. Why, why don't we get married? But the thing is, I'm waiting for my husband, who's 96, to die. Okay, that's not very nice, Matilda. Um, well... All right. Well, let me go on to the next one here. Willie. Willie says, um, Willie is nine years old. Oh, wow. Nine-year-old. This should be nice. Hello, uh, Truth Transistor. My name is Willie, and I hate your podcast. You have the dumbest voice. You're like a dum-dum, and I hate you. Well, that's not very nice, Willie. What, What do you... Why Why are you listening? I, I didn't know nine-year-olds would be interested in my podcast anyway. Well, let me, I've got one more here. This is Molly from Molly, who's eight years old. Molly says, Hello, Truth Transistor. You have a dumb face. You're stupid. I hate you. Molly. Well, okay, do your parents know you all talk like that? Okay, that's two kids telling me how dumb I am. And that hurts my feelings. All right, I just made that up just to pretend like I had something to read. (laughs) Yeah, so anyway, I thought you... um, Or at least I'm going to claim that those were fake. So in today's episode, we are going to talk about the kingdom of Satan. And the previous episodes have been more about biblical evidence. This is going to be a little different. It's going to be a Bible study. And there's going to be a bit of a series, I guess you could say, on this concept. But I think in order to 
discuss what I consider to be the great conspiracy, we first have to uh, talk about where the conspiracy comes from and the spiritual dimension behind it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think in the previous episodes I've discussed the historical evidence for the Bible, and I would encourage you to listen to those and find the resources that I left for you. Uh, so I'm already convinced, and maybe you aren't, but I am convinced that the Bible is true based on the historical uh, evidence and probabilities of, of it happening the way it says it happened. So I also believe that we can find the truth, not just historical events, but spiritual truths in this, in this book. And so let's talk about the kingdom of Satan from the Bible. Now, the first time we see this evil creature, well, it's called the serpent, is in Genesis chapter 3. And I'm not going to read it, but I'd encourage you to uh, read the first few chapters of Genesis. I think it's a foundation for a lot of things. But there's this, this creature in this Garden of Eden known as the serpent. And if you know the story, Adam and Eve are living in the Garden of Eden. There's no sin. There's no death. Everything is good. God just created everything. Everything is brand new. And he said you could eat of any tree in the garden except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Well, one day Eve, the woman, is sitting there looking at the fruit and lusting after it or kind of questioning, you know, probably in her mind thinking, I wonder why we can't eat this fruit. You know, it looks good. Well, the serpent sees that she is kind of looking at the fruit and decides to tempt her and says, did God say that you may not eat of any tree in the garden? Now realize he's already lying to her because God did not say you couldn't eat of any tree in the garden. So she pointed that out. She goes, No, God said we could eat of any tree in the garden except for the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because the day that we eat of it, we should surely die. And the serpent said, you won't die. Instead, your eyes will be opened and you shall be as gods. Knowing the difference between right and wrong. And, of course, she partook of the fruit and gave to her husband and he partook and... uh, you know, they, uh, their eyes were open and they were as like God, knowing the difference between right and wrong. Now, you know, a lot of people will get confused by this and say, you know, because I saw a Wiccan track that was based on this premise or, or this, uh, this passage. But it asked the question, who is telling the truth, Jehovah or the serpent? And, of course, it twisted it to, to say, well, their eyes were open and they were like God. Well, the day they ate of it, they didn't die. Well... The thing of it is, is that spiritually they died the day they ate of it, um, and they physically, which way they were, they were created to live forever, were now destined to die. So, um, you know, there, there's there's true. It was true what God said. Now, um, there there is a deception there, and I believe that this is the foundation, or turning this upside down, or believing that the serpent was telling the truth was the foundation of false religion. And we'll get more into this in the next uh, future episodes. But um, 
this is a foundational passage and there's so much more we can get into on this but i wanted to share this is the first time uh, a serpent uh, which is indwelt by satan uh, so we have this uh, this first mention of this creature. Now, in the Revelation, Satan is considered to be a dragon, which a dragon, I guess you could say, is a reptilian creature and could be also a serpent. But, um, yeah, so I want to get to some other passages here regarding... Uh, regarding uh, Satan and the fallen angels. Now, there is a term in uh, that's used in the Old Testament. In English, we uh, read it as sons of God. And in Hebrew, it's B'nai Elohim, I believe, which means sons of God, which uh, oftentimes refers to angels. And there's some debate on whether it's always referring to angels in the Old Testament or if it's sometimes referring to the people of God. Um, but anyway, I thought I would bring that up. Now, what, what are all these angels, uh, these creatures of God? And I want to talk about before they fell, before any of them fell, um, there's this passage in Job chapter 38. And uh, Job is asking why all these things are happening to him. And, and, and basically God says, uh, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that dark, darkeneth the counsel by words with our knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer me, thou me. Where wast thou when I had laid the foundations of the earth, declare if thou hast understanding, who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who laid the cornerstone thereof, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, I wanted to point this out because uh, the terms morning stars, which we will see is a uh, used to talk about angels and sons of God uh, also. And I'm not sure if these are two different, you know, kinds of creatures, spiritual beings. I don't know. But, uh, but anyway, it just says that these creatures were there when God cre created the world and rejoiced. And it doesn't really, the Bible doesn't really say when they originated from or, or when they were created or anything like that. Some suggest that they were created on the day that the stars were created. I've even heard somebody suggest that the stars are angels, the literal stars we see up in the sky. So I don't know about that one, but um, but I think stars symbolize angels. Um, but anyway, the uh, so I just wanted to show that. And then if you go to Revelation chapter 12 starting uh, let's see uh, I'll just start in verse 1 and there appeared a great wonder in heaven and a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars and she being with child cried travailing in birth and pained to be delivered 
And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his head. Now, will this this creature here that we're talking about, seven heads and ten horns will come up again in, when we, in this uh, episode here. Um, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. Now, this is a passage that is used. It's the only passage I think that I can find that, su- that suggests that it's the third of the angels that came down. Because that's traditionally what a lot of Christians believe is that a third of the angels fell with Satan when he sinned. And I'll get into to why he sinned. But, uh, but I just wanted to point out that a third of the angels fell with this dragon. And, of course, this woman who bears the child, uh, and that's a lot deeper than I want to get into here, which uh, this, the man-child, which the, the dragon wanted to kill, um, I believe is Jesus. And the woman, which at the very least is representative of God's people, but a lot of people would say it is Israel, and it very well could be Israel. So, uh, but I don't want to get too deep in there. I just wanted to point out that the dragon, uh, a third of the stars came down with this dragon. Now, let's look at Isaiah 14, starting in verse 12. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet, and I'll just keep reading here in verse 15. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Um, and I could keep going there. It's, it's pretty interesting. But it, it talks about uh, Lucifer, son of the morning. I think some passages, some translations say uh, morning star, which is what Jesus is called. Um, Jesus, Jesus is called the bright and morning star. Lucifer is called sun of the morning star. I've heard some people try to twist this and say that Lucifer and Jesus are the same or it they try to make it more confusing. But this says son of the morning. And um you know, so it says Lucifer fell and why did he fall? Because he wanted to be like God. He wanted to ascend into heaven and exalt his throne above the stars of God, which could be referring to the other angels. Uh I don't know. So uh, this is, uh, and a lot of, now I don't know for sure, but a lot of the tradition states that Lucifer and Satan are one and the same being. And I'm not sure if that's true or not, but Satan and Lucifer, if they're two different, are both fallen angels. They're both these fallen uh, creatures. So uh, anyway, I wanted to mention this passage about why Lucifer fell. 
Now, if you read the creation account, when God created man, he, he put man in charge of the garden and in charge of all the creatures on the earth. And I believe when man fell, that authority that we had over God's creation was given over to this serpent, the devil. And, and I want to read a couple of passages, patches, passages that indicate that Satan is now in charge of the material world or has been given to him. And, uh, you know, it doesn't really say when it happened. So it could have happened right when Adam and Eve sinned, or they could have, man could have eventually given it to the serpent. So I don't know exactly when, but it might have happened right when man sinned. But anyway, there's this passage in uh, Luke chapter 4 where the devil deceives Jesus three times and the uh, second the second temptation in verse 5 it says and the devil taking him that is Jesus up into a high mountain showed him unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and the devil said unto him all this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And so, what does this look like? First of all, this indicates that the devil owns the material world the kingdoms of this world are his he is behind the thrones basically and that's why the majority of political leaders in the history of the world and kings and things have been pretty corrupted and evil and and have abused their own people because they are influenced by the devil but it's also interesting that he asked jesus to bow to him to get this power and it reminds me of many people in prominent places, especially a lot of celebrities have used the term selling their soul to the devil. Have you ever heard that term or selling their soul to Satan? And uh, so this is a common term. Now, some people don't mean literally. I think they might mean, oh, to the executives, they sold out their rights so that they can get wealthy or, or whatever. Uh, but, you know, but regardless, some people actually probably do sell their soul to, de to the devil for success and fame or fortune or whatever. So that's just an interesting uh, thought. But regardless, the point is the devil has control of the kingdoms and the power uh, over the kingdoms of this world. Then we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And this is talking about God's people uh, and what we are supposed to be doing, spreading the gospel. Uh, verse 3, it says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Verse 4, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not 
lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now, it's the, the word, the first God, in whom the God of this world is on a lowercase g. And it's saying that he has blinded the minds of them which believe not. The God of this world is the devil, Satan. And so... This is another uh, term that I wanted to point out. And this is kind of connected to him owning the kingdoms of this world. Now, before I move on with Satan, I want to make this clear. I, I would say that Satan is more like the manager of this worldly system, that God has given us over to Satan, or, or not us, but like the worldly system that has fallen. And, you know... We'll we'll talk more about this and more of prophecy stuff, but it, it you know we're going to be given over to uh, a judgment of fire. The this world will be destroyed, and God will create a new heavens and a new earth. So I think in a sense he's given this worldly system over to the devil, but he he the devil is basically managing. He can't do anything. Uh, God the Most High is really in charge, and nothing can happen without his permission. In Job chapter 1, there's the story about a man who uh, was wealthy, was a righteous man, very wealthy and, and prosperous. And this is an example of Satan's relationship with God. Um, in verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God, again, probably talking about angels here, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou from? Or where did you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and going down in it. Um, this pass, This phrasing here I will bring up again. Um, but uh, anyway, I'll keep going. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, and there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast, thou, hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he had on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance in increase in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he has, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he has is thine. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters that were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house and there came a message unto Job and said the oxen were plowing and the asses feet. Anyway, um, the point is that um, Satan presented this theory to God and God said, well, go ahead and, and test this theory. He, he allowed Satan to hurt the, uh, the possessions of Job. And I think there's a passage here later, if I can find it. Um, and he, he says a similar thing to God later. And uh, and the Lord said something about you can hurt. Uh, 
Oh, here it is. And in chapter two, verse six, and the Lord said unto Satan, behold, he is thine. Uh, he's in your hand, but save his life. So he's basically saying he can hurt, he can hurt Job's health. Um, and Job got boils here uh, and things. Um, but basically, in the second time he approached the Lord, he said, you're only hurting his possessions, but he's still okay and, and all this stuff. So anyway, but he but the Lord is telling him, you can hurt Job, just don't just don't take his life. And so Satan can't do anything. This is just an example that Satan can't do anything without God's permission. So now I would like to talk a little bit about what Satan's agenda is or what he's trying to do and some of his I guess personality or whatever um, in first Peter 5 verse 8 it says be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour now notice uh, in the previous passage I read in Job, it says he was wandering to and fro around the earth. And so here it says, seeking whom he may devour. I, I imagine uh, that's what he's wandering the earth for, is seeking whom he may devour. And it says may devour. You know, the word may means allowed. You know, when you say may I, you know, when you were a kid, did you ever say, can I, uh, can I have some, can I eat the, uh, the cookies? And have you ever had a, uh, when you were a kid, you, an adult said, uh, I don't know, can you? <laughs> but they were trying to train you to say, may I, because may I, uh, indicates permission. Can I, uh, would indicate ability. So, uh, anyway, so it's it's interesting the wording here. It's it's that uh, uh, seeking whom he may devour. So he's looking for f permission. It's not can because he can he he has the strength to devour us, but he can't do anything without he may not do anything without God's permission. Um, but anyway, that's part of what he's trying to do is to devour mankind. And uh, so another aspect or attribute of Satan can be found in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14. It says, and no marvel for Satan himself. Uh, actually, let me go back to verse 13 because I think this is appropriate. It says, for such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Um, this is in the context of talking about um, I guess wolves in sheep's clothing I don't know if that's the exact passage that's talking about wolves in sheep's clothing but anyway um, for such are false apostles deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So uh, I, I think of the word deception. He is a deceiver. You know, a wolf in sheep's clothing or a false apostle, deceitful workers that transform themselves into apostles of Christ. They want to appear as an apostle of Christ. So human beings do the same thing. 
And then Satan uh, transforms himself into an angel of light. You know, angels were beautiful creatures created by God, and Satan was an angel, and he's still the same being. He's just fallen. So he still looks like an angel of light, and he, he probably, if he appears to somebody, he may smile, you know. There has been um, apostasies, uh, cults that have started, and people that started these cults claimed that an angel appeared to them and gave them this information of blah, blah, blah. Now, whether or not that was a lie or not, if they really saw an angel, uh, it would have been a fallen one because the a, a, a true angel of God is not going to give... Uh, a, an apostate or, uh, uh, you know, uh, a bad doctrine or, or a bad teaching that contradicts God's word. This brings to mind Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse uh, f- 4. It says, who gave him, let's see, no, verse 5, to whom, verse 6, I'm sorry. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. I guess there was somebody that came in and and started spreading a a different message than what Jesus started. Verse 7, it says, Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But But though we, or an angel from heaven... Preach any gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. And so he makes it. I think it's interesting that he says if um, if he or or them or anyone else or an angel from heaven preaches any gospel uh, different than what was already preached, let him be accursed. So some people. I've heard this from evangelists on TV that spread horrible doctrine and even a different gospel that claim that an angel appeared to them and revealed these things to them. And it's very possible that an angel did, but it would have been a fallen angel. So uh, I mentioned this, an, an angel of light, he is a deceiver. Now just a f- few more attributes of Satan here in Revelation 12. Verse uh, 9, it says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent. I think that's referring to Genesis, uh, where the serpent appeared to Adam and Eve. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out in the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Um, There was a... I must have missed this here. Where does it say um, the accuser? That's what I was looking for here. Okay, it's in verse 10. It says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our uh, God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So it's, you know, this is in the context just right after talking about the devil and Satan being cast down, uh, cast out 
into the earth. Uh, so it's calling him the accuser. And another passage talks about Jesus as our advocate. So um, anyway, these are some attributes of Satan. And finally, I would like to discuss some of the kingdoms of this world um, and, and, and get into some Bible prophecy here. And this is just an introduction to Bible prophecy but also an introduction into what I believe um, the explanation for some of this stuff is, which we will get into in the next episode. But first, here is a song by my brother that uh, is kind of short but sweet because I'm running short on time here, and it's called Things I Love the Most. Once again, if you like that music, check him out. It's Hendrick. You can find it on iTunes. That was Things I Love the Most from an album called We Share the Sky. All right, so quickly now, I'm going to talk about kingdoms of this world. And this, this last part of this episode is going to be an introduction to what I'm going to be talking about in the next probably few episodes. Genesis uh, chapter 11 is the story of the Tower of Babel, which I discussed a bit in one of the episodes about the dispersing of the nations. And basically, Satan wants a worldly kingdom that worships him. He wants to unite everything, but God put a little bit of a nix in that by uh, dividing them by languages and through tribes and everything. And so many of these kingdoms, which we are going to discuss, which I think all have the power from the serpent, as I mentioned in um, earlier, that that the, the God of this world and all the kingdoms of this world, which he told he would give to Jesus if he bowed to him, um, to, to uh, you know, bowed to Satan, um, but yet, while he owns all of these nations, they are often fighting each other. 
So it's it's interesting, and I think that's kind of uh, you know Jesus said uh, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. <laughs> And so I think this is kind of a, a crux in what Satan is trying to do, but he's also trying and working hard to bring them back together. Um, Daniel chapter 7, uh, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 2 um, is an image from a dream by a Babylonian king um, where he ha- sees the statue. And let me read this real quick. And not only did the king... Uh, not remember what the dream was, but he demanded that somebody that was wise tell him what the dream was and (laughs) interpret it. This was Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel was the one, by the power of God, able to reveal the dream and interpret it. So uh, chapter Daniel 2, starting in verse 31. Thou, O king, sawest and great, behold a great image, this great image whose brightness was excellent, Uh, stood before thee, and form therefore was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, and his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them into pieces." Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carrying away, carrying them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation. Thou, O king, art king of kings for the power of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And whosoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, hath given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art the head of gold. Now, I think, uh, although it's talking to Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king, but I wonder, I think the head of gold is actually Babylon. It was just at the time, Nebuchadnezzar was the head of Babylon or the king of Babylon, but the head of gold is Babylon. And after thee, thou arise another kingdom in after thee, which would be Media Persia, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth, which was Greece. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, forasmuch as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things. And as iron that breaketh all these things, shall it break in pieces and bruise. So this is Rome. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter, potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, and there shall be in it of the strength of the iron. For as much as thou sawest, so it's a kingdom after uh you know, Rome. And some people think it's the uh, Holy Roman Empire or the divided Roman Empire. Some people think this is uh, just the European um, nations that bring about the last um, world empire. Uh, But there's different views on that. But the point is that all of these are kingdoms and they're connected to the same statue. And uh, they're all part of this worldly system. They're all connected, even though they are separate. 
if that makes any sense. But of course, that stone, which is Christ, breaks them into pieces. And uh, so that's one example of the kingdoms of this world. And then in Daniel 7, Daniel has a dream, uh, this time of four beasts. Uh, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Uh, I beheld till the, the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Uh, and behold, another beast, second like a bear, and it raised up itself on one side and had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus into it, Arise, devour much flesh. And then I saw, behold, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given it, it to it. And after this I saw the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had a great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came upon uh, up among them another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots and behold in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man and a man speaking great things i beheld till the thrones were cast down and the, and the ancient of days did sit whose garments was like as snow and the hair of his head like the pure wool again this is christ um now in terms of the interpretation i was grieved in my spirit I skipped down a little bit. Um, I was grieved in my spirit of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto the, them that stood by and asked them the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings, maybe kingdoms, but uh, anyway, uh, which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Now, so most people interpret this, most Christians I've heard interpret this as the same kingdoms as in the statue. Um, maybe not Babylon, but because it, it says that appear after this. So maybe starting with Media Persia, I guess. Um, but then I've heard another view, because it doesn't state that. It just says they shall arise. So it doesn't necessarily state that there will be the next four kingdoms. So some people believe they're just four kingdoms that that are here at the last days. Um, but I don't know. I don't know for sure. But especially uh, as we keep reading. And uh, then I would know the truth of the fourth, fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, whose teeth was of iron, and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces. Um, now, it does mention iron here, which, you know, the the legs of iron in the statue. But it also mentions brass. So that's kind of interesting. Um, there was no brass in the uh, statue. I mean, there was brass in the statue. But in the legs, it was iron mingled, mingled with clay. But anyway, um, but you have a similar thing here where... Uh, it says, and of the ten horns, 
that were in the head and of the other which came up and before him the three uh even a mouse uh, he's just repeating um and uh let's see where does it say where the interpretation is um and uh, I beheld in the same horn, made war with the saints, and prevailed against them. That's the the uh, the eleventh horn that that comes up out of the ten. Um, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down, and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise and another shall arise after them and he shall be diverse from the first and he shall subdue three kings and he shall speak great words against the most high and shall wear out the saints of the most high um, just i'm just quickly going through this so it's again i'm talking about kingdoms here and of course this last kingdom which mentions ten kings and of course, the uh, the eleventh that comes up is mostly referring to. Uh, most people believe that's the Antichrist, as we've all heard about so much. Now, remember earlier when I talked about the the woman and this beast, with uh, it was in Revelation twelve, with seven heads and ten horns, and uh, I I believe that's probably the same beast as in Daniel with the ten horns um, but I want to read uh, also in Revelation 19 I mean sorry Revelation 13 uh, the final beast kingdom once again and I stood upon the sand of the sea, sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns and upon his horns ten crowns and upon his heads the name of blasphemy and the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard and his feet were as the feet of a bear and his mouth as the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him the power and his seat and great authority as we mentioned before uh, as I mentioned before this that Satan is behind the powers of these kingdoms so that's um, uh, something important to notice uh, and I also think it's interesting that this beast, now in Daniel 7, it didn't tell much about the beast except that it had ten horns, but it didn't say much about what it looked like. But a lot of these uh, images uh, was like unto a leopard with feet of the feet of the bear, mouth of a lion, etc. You know, those were all beasts that were in uh, previous beasts. And so that's kind of interesting. So I think this final beast will be a mixture of all of those things or, you know, peoples from different uh, backgrounds and, and nations. And quickly, finally, I would like to talk about Mystery Babylon just here briefly. And uh, it says in Revelation 17, And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying, unto me come hither i will show you the the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication now this is a this one woman is called a whore now you remember the woman earlier was the righteous of god and satan wanted to uh to to uh to persecute 
But this woman is uh, made fornications with the It's like an apostate people. Uh, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, color and decked with purple and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand and full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her name was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, Mother of Harlots and Abominations of the Earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Um, So notice that this woman uh, who has made uh, the uh, nations wealthy because of her sorceries, as it states, skipping down to uh, chapter 18, starting in verse... um, Four And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye may be not be partakers of her sins, that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double up, double unto her, double according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled, filled to her double. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow given her. For she hath said in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning, famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. Um, And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her. And when they see the smoke standing afar off um, and the merchants of the earth, this is what I wanted to talk about. Verse 11, the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls. Um, And there's a verse that says sorceries um, were made rich by her. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her. Um, anyway, these are quick things I wanted to mention about Mystery Babylon. It's just a brief uh, discussion about it. Uh, this is kind of an introduction into the next episodes, which will be what I believe is Mystery Babylon. And it will also discuss the other uh, parts of you know the beast a little bit. Um, but I think we need to get a biblical background, and I would read all of 17 and 18 in Revelation to get a clearer picture of this. Uh, because the Bible, which I believe is the foundation of truth, will help you understand the great conspiracy. And in the next episode, we will start uh, going through uh, William Cooper's Mystery Babylon series. Thank you all, and have a wonderful day. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hedrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 16 18. Pride goeth before destruction. <laughs>